Hi, beloveds. Welcome to Eldest Daughter, a podcast in discovery of what makes a cycle breaker. This episode and every episode moving forward, we'll be diving into the experiences, identities, and choices that go into becoming somebody who chooses their own life path, their own joy, and ultimately rejects the roles that were placed on them by birth. Um, we're going to dive a little bit into kind of what the secret sauce, secret recipe is to being somebody who feels like they're enough for their life's purpose. And today I am joined by somebody who I love so much, <laughs> Timby Denton Hurst. Yes, ma'am. Um, Timby is a beauty and books writer and also a forthcoming author yes. of a debut novel, Homebodies. Yes, ma'am. I would love to hear everything about that. I'm so excited for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course. I'm very, very excited as well. Um, so it's a second coming of age story, ultimately. Yeah. And I think that we don't talk enough about that weird age between like mm. 25 and 29 when it's, you know, you start to realize like I am responsible for myself. Right. Maybe my parent is a person and not just mm. like the person, the thing responsible for all of the things that have happened to me in my life thus far. Yes. And, you know, you start to excavate and look back in order to move forward. And I think it's such a fruitful time for discussion. And I really wanted to hone in on that. Mm. I also wanted to talk about like blackness and media. And I kind of, you know, they say, write what you know, and yes. I know the industry. So I was like, that's where I'm going to start. Right. Um, yeah, Mickey's like a character that's very close to me in a sense. Mm -hmm. I always say that she's not me, but like she's the person sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. So, or like me if I took a different Like a route. mirrored experience. Yes. Yeah. I, that kind of reminds me of like everything everywhere all at once, mm -hmm. right? This concept that like we are several intersecting timelines, mm -hmm. right? And like every micro choice that we make throughout our careers, our journeys with lovers, with best friends, with our family mm -hmm. could ultimately create an entirely new path that is still in alignment with who we are right right so how do you feel like mickey is different from you and i i think what are the ways in which you try to channel like your your source or your feelings of personal power into that character yeah so i feel like she's different from me in the sense that she's a lot less self-aware mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's a lot less self-aware. Okay. She's wilding out. And yes. um, she doesn't have as much support. Right. And I think I have a really great community. And I think that without that community, then I would not, I could have been in a more a similar situation more similar to hers. Right. But right. she had I have a great support system on every front. So right. she's kind of just like going it alone. But totally. then it's also kind of not really understanding that she's in this forest yes. of her own feelings and emotions. But I think that I called on like my personal power to like kind of craft the other characters to talk mm. to her in a sense. Like they're almost her guides. Right. Like her higher way. voices. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of the people, like she doesn't necessarily right. have access to her own higher consciousness. Totally. But the other people in her life kind of act as that for her. Right. And I can recall going through that experience in some ways myself when I was totally. younger than her, but I gave her that experience just like at a more advanced age. Right. Exactly. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I think, Something in in particular about the queer experience mm -hmm. is that our self-actualization is so driven by community, right? right? Community-based care. And, like, it sounds like this character was, like, an echo of that, right? Like, what if you didn't have those things, but there were people who came into your life who were trying mm -hmm. to provide that for you, that safety net. I also love the fact that she's less self-aware because that is something that I often wish I I was. <laughs> you said I wish I knew less. Exactly. Like awareness is my gift, but also it is a curse. Yeah. Right. Because then like I will say, I think being beholden to my own value system mm -hmm. has provided me so many gorgeous and overflowing relationships. Right. 
and so many beautiful experiences. But at the same time, I'm so incredibly aware of the ways in which I could fail myself in having those things, mm -hmm. right? Or like I could fail my community. But, but have not... you ever wanted to make a bad decision on purpose? All the time. Like, <laughs> All, it's a gag. You said, have I ever? <laughs> no, have like, I ever wanted to? I have. No, like, <laughs> I have. You know what I'm saying? You totally. walk into something completely eyes totally. open and you know that you're about to fuck yourself over. Yes, yes. That is a thing. Like 100%. I've been holding myself to a higher moral compass since I was like 12 years old. Completely. The shit is ghetto. So let's talk about it. <laughs> like so I've avoided a lot of things. Exactly. For a lot of things. Self-preservation, preservation of the people who came before you and mm -hmm. preservation of your family. So when I reached out to you and I told you about the podcast, you were like, as an eldest daughter, period, bitch. Yes. So I know that you identify with yes. the eldest daughter experience. Yes. For those of you who are not familiar with it um, as, a, as a concept or a trope, and the reason why the podcast is called Eldest Daughters because it is a trope. It's a consistent trope in the stories that we read often. Like the oldest daughter is the first to kind of leave the confines or like the, the fence of her family home mm -hmm. and seek a tradition outside of herself. But prior to that, she's often the person who upholds the tradition most, mm -hmm. right? Because that parentified, um, you know, uh, role is placed on her. So the eldest daughter syndrome is kind of marked by this experience of a lack of nurturing in a home or... Uh, a simple like lack of responsibility that is then inherently placed on the eldest daughter. Um, and that can happen for many reasons. It can happen because the eldest daughter has a parent who is an immigrant, has a parent who is struggling with uh, mental illness or with um, substance abuse issues or just simply like is limited because of experience. Mm -hmm. um, so for you, what do you think you most connect with? What roles, responsibilities do you think you most connect with when it comes to that trope? I mean, me and FAFSA are on speaking terms. You know what right. I'm saying? I did <laughs> I did the student loan things for me, my sister. Like, I'll probably do it for my brother. Like, yes. I definitely was deputized as a, yeah. like, a mini adult from right. a very young age. Totally. Um, I think what I remember most clearly, like, the first time I kind of felt, I feel like maybe just, like, old, like, not necessarily, like, older, old but, like, were you labeled as an old soul? Not really, up? but they just saw me as very independent. But I was very right. hyper independent. So like, when I was little, it was me, my mom, my sister. My dad lived in DC. They were yes. together until I was about five years old, and then split. And then yeah, my parents to... also divorced when I was really young. Yeah, yeah, so it's like you you understand. So it's yeah. like we moved to this one bedroom apartment on East 18th Street in Brooklyn, right off Cortelli Road, mm. and it's we have a bunk bed, and my sister and my mom sleep together, and I sleep on the top bunk. And so I think that there was like this early separation between me and my mother. Yes, that I think, and even in physicality. Yeah, in physicality. Yes. that like kind of led me to understand myself as like separate and apart and also mm. like able to do things on my own right that right. just shaped me forever you know what's so fascinating about that to me is i feel like coming into post like my my induction into a relationship with a therapist my first therapist mm -hmm. i realized that there was immediately kind of a friction between me and my mom mm. because she felt challenged by this sense of newness right or like this new understanding of like I'm not sure I really felt supported as much as two things are happening at once. You were an incredible mother with the tools that you had, the resources that you had. And also mm -hmm. I felt like there were things that I needed from you that I could not access at that time that I wouldn't have known until later in life. Mm -hmm. Right. And once I was able to gain ownership of that, I realized that there were like, there were choices, but like how many choices can a child actually make? Right. Right. It's like, we're just deeply sensitive human beings in a context where we know that like, if we're not going to get our needs met, like some, they still need to be met. If right. they're not met by a parental figure or a nurturer, like mm -hmm. we have to become our nurturer. Right. right? And so I, I very much relate to that, like kind of 
unspoken role that you just accept, even if it's not placed on you, mm -hmm. you kind of just step into it because somebody's gotta, right? Sure. And out of self-preservation, which yeah. I think is something that's often like kind of overlooked is like, it's not necessarily like somebody's like saying like, you're the, you're the parent now, which does happen, right. right? It happens in many cultural contexts and in the context of like, I think even being like a black, black man, black woman mm -hmm. in a household where there is so much, um, like as a consequence of chattel slavery and of white supremacy, there's so much fracture in mm -hmm. our homes, right? Um, so how would you describe yourself as a child? I'm really curious. I was so independent. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I think when I was like, they're like, oh, what do you want to do? I always knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right. I was like, yes. I'm going to be the first black Supreme Court justice. Yes. Obviously, that was taken from me. What? Stolen, my birthright taken. Stolen. Um, right. I will leave her where she's at. I'm, and I'm she will, no, her. she will pay for her crimes. <laughs> no, she will. She will eventually. pay for her crimes. Um, quite literally. Yeah. So I, when, <laughs> when she got inducted, I, I did clap, but I said, <laughs> hmm, in my spot, as usual. Right. right. However, <laughs> but like, I knew that's what I thought. I was like, I want to be this. I just, I'm a Leo moon. So I right. just was like, I was right. popped out the door. Like, I knew what I was going to do. Totally. Um, I was also very ambitious as a kid mm. and I like wanted attention, but I never really received it. If that makes sense. Like, I feel like I was always, I knew I was intelligent. That right. was something that was made very clear to me from a very young age. I read yes. very early. I was reading the Harry Potter se series at five yes. years old. So it was like, I was hyper all of the things and right. then, like hyper gifted, hyper this, hyper that. Yes. So it was like, but I think on an emotional level, I was very, I don't want to say lonely because it wasn't necessarily like isolated loneliness isolated in some ways yeah and then i think also desiring like close connection mm -hmm. but then not always being able to access that totally recently i've been unpacking the ways that i was like punished for my desire as a young mm. like a young girl and right. that was like a constant theme right. up until i think i was like in my like my relationship with my fiance was like mm. I was punished for my desire a lot in like so many different right. contexts. So what did that desire look like? And when you say desire, you mean like I heard you mention that you're a Leo Moon, right? So, and also you're a Virgo Sun, right? What's yes. your, what's your big three? Virgo Sun, Taurus Rising, Leo Moon. Okay, icon. I want to be you. I want to be with you. I want to be in you. So, when I hear that, okay, I'm immediately thinking like you had an understanding of what you were gifted at mm -hmm. and you were that like very much that and do you feel like your desire to like embody your truest self felt like it created a friction with your care your caregivers do you think it created a friction with your family you think it created a friction with do you think that people were contested by your desire or do you feel like they were inconvenienced they were like very celebratory of it but mm. only in certain contexts like it had to be what did that look it like? was like academic or mm -hmm. you know like Right. It was very success-based, like, totally. that type of thing. But I think that I was so separated from my own physicality and from my own body yes. that it was a very weird thing. Like, I saw myself as, like, you're so smart, you're so this. Yes. Like, all, I, like, it had nothing to do with me as a physical being, which I think right. in some ways is good and bad, right? Yeah, of Like, course. on the good side of it, it's I didn't over-invest in this idea of how I look. In superficiality. In superficiality, but also I thought that I was ugly. So yes. it was, like... It was weird. Swing. Yeah, it was a pendulum yeah. swing. I was like, oh, you're unattractive. Like, totally. You don't have these things that other people have. Like, no one, like, had a crush on me when I was young. Right. Like, if they did, they never said anything. Like, totally. You know, I just didn't have that experience. And yes. anytime I was, like, expressing those types of things, it was met very negatively, mm. both by the adults in my life and then also by the people, like, my peers. Yes. And so 
I just I was like, oh, so stick to the smart thing, you know? Right, right. And so I just kind of invested in that. And then people are like, oh, you're so smart, you're so brilliant, you're so well, like all of the things. And I was like, right. yeah, I know that. Like, exactly. And that's what I kind of pushed yeah. You're on like, y'all like, on chapter one, we're on chapter two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. I had a very mirrored experience growing up. Mm. I think it just is the like curvy or fat black experience, of the experience of being in a predominantly white space, mm -hmm. which I know you also. Um, experience at some point, some point in your later education, and like, I, I think for me that also really centered what I would choose to embody in my career, mm. which I think is also a part of cycle breaking. Right? Is like eventually you you identify with lack so deeply, and then eventually you realize that your gifts were sent to you through that lack. Mm -hmm. Right? So like for you, it's like that brilliance was intrinsic to you, and the lack of celebration for you as a whole person right mm -hmm. a fully embodied person like an artist right a walking artist and walking art that not being so clear has clearly paved a way for you to show up for that mm -hmm. in your in your later life right? right for sure and I totally agree with that I think that as I've become more comfortable with myself and also become more of a full person mm -hmm. like and I don't see those things as separated or right. like one is negative and one is positive or like any of those things totally. I think I've been able to kind of navigate those painful things and express yes. them in a way that people are like, oh, like me too. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, yeah, so that's been really cool. Totally. It's been really gorgeous to witness. Thank you. You recently published um, an incredibly poignant piece that hurt me deep in my soul. Mm. Um, I believe it was called It Doesn't Matter If We Behave. Yes. With the cut. I'm going to read a little excerpt, which I know is <laughs> super embarrassing. I love I must, it. But I must. I must. I love it. Um, there were a few parts that really hit me. And I think one in specific in connection to what we're talking about. Yeah. At one point you mentioned, so in this piece, Timmy does um, a little bit of excavation about like code switching and um, kind of the appropriation of many black interests and black points of expression within the corporate space um, and in the context of professionalism. Mm. And at this particular point you say I was groomed in the ways of professionalism from a young age my first lesson was that my mother whose locks fell straight down her back was failing at it my grandmother told me so she would say that my mother needed to cut it off and press her hair instead the implication being that this is somehow holding her back that straight hair would somehow fix all of her problems that her hair was a problem in the first place that hit me where it hurts mm -hmm. because I think all of us have an experience where you realize that like your foremothers are seated perfectly in this like intersection between self-hate and self-preservation. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in that point in your essay, you were like acknowledging that that is where your place was, mm -hmm. right? Like you had this, you had this like symbol of cycle breaking, right? This symbol of your mom choosing a, a place of expression that she knew would create friction in, mm -hmm. in her outer experience, right? She knew that like externally that would not be accepted right. and took that hit, took that necessary loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you were proud of her for that, mm -hmm. right? And then you had her mother and that voice of what you knew was also the public perception. Right. And in the context of being in an older generation where the consequences of that could be fatal, mm -hmm. right? And hearing that, how were, how did those voices compete for you moving into like, you know, your, your mid twenties. And I think even context of the characters that you've written are Mickey and, and homebodies. Yeah. I think it just made me acutely aware of how you can like the idea of self-preservation as black women and how we're both trying to survive. Mm. And then also like 
thrive. Yeah. At the same time. You know, like right. it's this idea of those careful negotiations that we're making mm. in order to hopefully, and it's honestly become invisible, right? Yes. Like I think that we know that because we are black, we are visible, but the choices that we're making will hopefully render us invisible enough to be our true selves. Yes. You know, and I think that we are showing up so often, the way that we show up and all of those careful considerations that we're making, mm. it's so vulnerable because it's like a constant negotiation between ourselves and the thing outside of us. Right. And there's this one line in Homebodies that I really love that Mickey said, it's like just a narrative, but um, it's like Mickey, the doubling of her conscience consciousness had only served to create fold separations in the folds of her skin. Mm. And it's about like the way that you know, we become, we are further away from ourselves as we try to get closer to these ideals. Right, absolutely. Did you see um, A Strange Loop? No, I really wanted to see that. Yeah, that was incredible, but it reminded me of that. That mm. well, Actually, I think it quite literally is the psychological concept of like, to your point, the more that we seek those identities and an understanding in them, the further away we, we get from self. But then mm -hmm. also at the same time, at the end of that journey of running away from ourselves to find an answer as to why we're like this, mm -hmm. we gain kind of these breadcrumbs that lead us back to that mm -hmm. essential truth. Right. Right. That's really, really poignant. I also have another, <laughs> I have another piece of this that I thought was really powerful. Yes. Okay. So you also say, it is not lost on me that this pursuit, meaning pursuit of excellence within mm -hmm. your career, to make a splash in the pool that would prefer to be filled with concrete rather than to really dramatically change was mostly futile. It wasn't enough for black women to say they valued my perspective or repost my work on their Instagram stories. That was valuable for sure, but I wanted to move up in the ranks to reach higher than the tips of my fingers could stretch. If you were to ask me why I was stretching myself, I would say that it was to make the women around me feel seen, to change something for the collective but that wasn't the whole truth. I wanted to exist in rooms that felt closed off to me to wield the power needed to change the hearts and opinions of the people who picked up a magazine. I wanted to see if they had better food up there, if the water tasted good. I wanted to be plucked from the group and made special, able to tell myself that I'd made the right kind of edits while maintaining a core sense of self. My ambition was cloaked as representation, as doing something for the collective good. Mm. You said, damn, I did that. <laughs> you, said, you said, damn, I did that. <laughs> I mean, it's just honest, it right? Is. No, and I think that is. like when we, we think of black women who want to succeed and who want to, yes. you know, ultimately as much as we say, oh, we want to open the door, you are the one sitting in that spot. That's exactly right. And what are you doing with that? And right. also, can you be honest about the fact that it is for you? Exactly. Like, we're going to do a lot of things for ourselves. And why is that a problem? Mm -hmm. And also, is it possible to do those things for ourselves and for our foremothers and for our siblings and for the collective good? Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Exactly. And I think that that is something that so many black women, I think particularly black female creatives who are existing to exist, like who are who are seeking to exist in a space that is um, sold in fluidity, right? Mm -hmm. But for us, that fluidity has its limit. Mm -hmm. Like we can only be so fluid, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's like, we're allowed to, we're allowed to shift in shape and maybe be multifaceted, be a multi-hyphenate creative, um, seek, um, you know, a way of expression or a way of style or even a sexuality or a career that we did not see our foremothers choose, mm -hmm. but it does come with the consequences of being misunderstood. Of course. A, right? Like our ambitions, no matter what, are going to be misunderstood. Either we're going to be chosen and selected to be the full mouthpiece for 
any of the marginalized identities that we represent, whether it's blackness, womanhood, queerness, mm -hmm. right? We're inherently going to be granted that that crown of being mm -hmm. a mouthpiece. Um, but then also we have our individuation ripped from us, mm -hmm. right? It's like, when do I get to tell my story? Like the white men have been able to tell their story mm -hmm. for so long. Like, when do I just get to be, to me. be talking? Exactly. To be me. Yeah. And like, is that a selfish pursuit in how like how harmful is that selfishness yeah i think that's that's something that i often find myself challenged in because i want to just be able to tell my own stories right i think i always say this that like the worst thing that ever happened to us as people was the enlightenment mm -hmm. um this idea of the disembodied self the idea of like the self and then the separation of us from others and right you know so i think that we've all been in some ways poisoned by that yes i'm not exempt from that and i think that when we talk about white supremacy we talk about patriarchy black women as much as we exist outside of those systems we're fully within it in a lot of ways yes. too and so to think of wanting things for self in like a way that's selfish and like wanting certain you know accolades or certain recognition and all of that like this a certain level of selfishness or this right. like i am separate from you this concept i think has maybe been handed to us mm. but it's intrinsic to us at this point yes and so trying to separate oneself from these ideologies it, it's basically impossible like it is it's impossible, you know, and it's like totally having those desires. I'm always it's always complicated because I think so much of being a black woman is about community right. and is about the identification because we're lumped together anyway. So it's yes. like we might as well start to self-define or we might as well start right. to like represent ourselves. You know, it's like we don't have it's it's such a double bind. It is. It's such a it's like so, you know, it's tight. It's a tight fit. Totally. It because is. Because you're constantly trying to shift and move in a way that feels, you know, Serves both you and serves everyone else. Exactly. And is safe for all. It's safe Which for is all. a challenge in specific that's only placed on us. And I think also, consequently, like in the eldest daughter experience, that is something that's so deeply personal and spiritual mm -hmm. in a way that's constantly being politicized. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that to me is also such a frustration is like, I would love if somebody so often interviews about my career people ask me like so like you know why did you decide to become a plus size model and they want me to say as you mentioned in your essay they want me to say i did it because i wanted little girls like me to feel seen right and to your point there was once a time when that was true for me right and also when i wanted to believe that that was the whole truth because it felt virtuous and i right. knew that people wanted me as a fat black woman who they decided was their mammy to be virtuous they 100%. wanted me to say i did it for everybody else right and in reality i was like well because i was told i was ugly the whole time and then once i realized that i wasn't well i'm gonna i'm gonna flip a coin on this right that's that's why i did it you know what i'm saying like there was a part of me who also just simply wanted to feel my own sense of vindication mm -hmm. um and i also contextually because i read books knew that this is not activism like mm -hmm. do you know what i'm saying activism is putting your life on the line for exactly. your politic and and that is just simply in veneration of what an actual activist is mm -hmm. i refuse to take that title unless i'm doing that work right but i do think that like there is some there's a lot of convoluted you know and like murky waters there that I don't want to continue to dilute. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? I don't want to continue to make that um, an expectation for me or the mm -hmm. black women that come after me, the fat black women that come after me in the industry, in media, in fashion. I don't want them to be expected to do things for any other reason than that because it feels good to them. Right. And that's something that was robbed from me. Right. Is the choice to feel like I could do things just because they were good for me and mm -hmm. not because I needed to be, as I thought at one point, the first black female president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been taken from me yet. <laughs> could, could still happen. Could, could still, still happen. happen. Could still happen. Yeah. Exactly. The path is still like, clear. Totally. Exactly. And I'm like, 
And ultimately, I, I only wanted that because I wanted to affect change in people. Mm -hmm. I wanted an opportunity for many people to hear that a good heart will win. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I realized that I had other places I could do that. But ultimately, within those places, I still found the same mm -hmm. challenges. For sure. Right. I think also asking the question is like, can ambition be virtuous? Because I think when we think about like manifest destiny and like that ambition, totally, and they think that they're doing it for noble reasons, and we know that in actuality, right. that's about conquest. Yes, that's about yes, you know, stripping people of resources. Right, that's about like totally. well, murder and, and death and violence. Yeah, say <laughs> like, that again, exactly. You know? Well, and I think also it's a personal violence, mm -hmm. right? Like we know we know systemically ambition is inherently violent, mm -hmm. but I think emotionally it's also very violent. And I think particularly for somebody who grew up in an environment where you had to take on responsibilities and obligations beyond your breath to continue to hold that expectation for yourself can feel very violent. Oh yeah. Right. We're like, I'm only good enough and I'm only capable enough to, to hold communal, communal care and a loving relationship and loving friendships and relationships with my family. I can only really have those things if I'm the best at mm -hmm. this thing. Like oh, if yeah. I exceed, if I exceed expectation and then some only then will I have the love and care that I think that I want. Yeah. And I think that I need. Oh, the idea, like, me and my therapist for so long, what we were working on is, like, do you find yourself inherently valuable? Mm. And I was like, girl, no, I'm useful, right? Right. Like, it was right. tied up in the That's a Virgo move. Oh, it's a Virgo That's move. a Virgo yeah. move. Yeah. But I think also being a fat black woman, I'm like, I'm your totally. fat black therapist. Like, That's right. I have this function. Right. Totally. You know, like, oh, I am this yeah. kind of thing. Yes. Like, I'm the friend who always, who doesn't have any needs. I read your, I read your um, newsletter about mm -hmm. the, your friend breakup. And I was like, that to me was so resonant because you were like, they don't know anything about me. And yes. I went through this really, really intense shift where I was like, I'm going to start having needs. Mm. And my friend was like, are y'all going to meet the occasion? Are y'all going to rise totally. to meet the occasion? Like, I was like, I can no longer pretend that I'm like always, I have nothing. Like, it was almost like I could be doing anything, jumping up and down, doing right. all this stuff. And then they call me, I'm like, hey girl, what's up? What are you doing? Completely. I'm always available. I'm always ready. I'm always on call. I'm right. always like there. And what was, know? what was the the breaking point or the moment that you realized that you could not move on as a person who was needless. And one of, one of my friends like had ended up, we ended up having a conversation where. Whew, yeah. Child, mm -hmm. Well, like, <laughs> uh huh. We ended up having a conversation where we were talking about like crushes essentially. Mm. And like I was kind of expressing how like I never felt seen, I never felt like liked or like wanted in that way. And she was kind of just like, why do you think that that's the case? Like maybe they just never told you. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I feel well, like. But even, even that's hurtful. No, like, yeah. I want to hear it. I no, want to yeah, hear it with like, your chest that you want me. That's what yeah. we're all seeking. And that was like the beginnings of my brain kind of splitting in two and being like, mm. One, like, people could perceive me in a way that I don't perceive myself. Yes. Two, that, like, I had this desire to be seen by other people. Three, that, you know, being in a loving relationship with someone who loves me very much and has mm -hmm. been with me for so long, that, like, that soul level of attention is maybe not all that I wanted. Absolutely. And, like, feeling maybe robbed, because it's, like, because we started dating when I was 18. Right. I think being robbed of, not robbed, that's not really a good way to put it. Cause she ain't steal nothing from me. Totally. But being like, I didn't have. But you were this excluded. You were excluded. excluded from yeah, I was excluded from yeah. experiences of like feeling desire. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the levity of like 
passing lust in a bar. Like, the yes. Things, and, and like also just the, the personal, sexual, spiritual exploration that comes with dating young. You did not have those things because you, right. had, you had a love of Greer from the beginning. Yeah. And I think it protected Which, me in congr- a lot of ways. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> like, I feel like it protected me in a lot of ways. Yes. And I think it created stability for me in a lot of ways that yeah. I was grateful for. But I think I got to a point in my development where I recognized that not having that really obscured the way that I saw myself and continued mm. to feed into these ideas that I had about myself that I was undesirable or that I was only yes. desirable to this one person that right. had lucked into partnership rather than worked for it, rather than earning it, you know, and that I deserved it. And so it was only wow. then. And then some, when someone else had told me like, yes. oh yeah, I think you're fine as hell. Or like, I think you're cute. Right. I was like, wait, Tea. what? T. I'm gonna go ahead and echo that. <laughs> no, Tea. but I didn't know. I said, what do yeah. you mean you think that? And when she said that to me, I thought she was being nice. Right. I was like, oh, she's being nice to me. Like, that's how I felt. Right. Like, when anyone would acknowledge me or see me in that way, I felt like I was being, they were being nice to me. And it took yes. me so long to, and I would put myself in, like, bend myself backwards. Right. And flip up and down. Like, do all of these things. to one, hear that level of validation again. Yes. But then also was willing to betray myself over trying to meet this deep need. And I, at that point, I recognized, like, you not only have needs, bitch, but, like, there's something very broken right. about yeah. the way that you're going through the world. It, until, until you satisfy those needs, you're going to continue to feed a wound, mm-hmm. right? This, like, insatiable wound that is empty. It's an empty pit, mm-hmm. right? And, like, I think it's fascinating, too, that you have this recognition that you weren't you weren't able to like evade the fate of having to face that wound, even though you had a long-term partnership, which Mm -hmm. I think is really, really challenging for a lot of people who are chronically single right? or chronic, you know, in in consequence of anything of being a fat black woman, of being queer, of having any of those marginalized identities that ultimately end up challenging finding lasting romantic partnership Mm -hmm. in the year of our Lord, 2023. It's like, I think there are also a lot of like false, false beliefs that if I just had a partner no. That would be solved for. Mm. And ultimately, like, when you have a great partner, we have somebody who's just there to witness you, they're still going to witness you in that wound. Of like, course. there is no evading that fate of realizing you still have needs. And, like, even within the context of that relationship and outside of it, mm-hmm. you will have to ask for them. And, of like, course. you can't maintain that relationship unless you learn how to do that. So true. And I think that, like, what was awesome about, or what is awesome about Kane is, like, she is just, like you said, she witnesses me and she mm. holds me and, like, is just all of the things. Totally. Like, there's this one Toni Morrison quote about, like, friendship and about how, like, this friend of mine, she takes all the pieces of me and, like, gives them back to me in the right order. Mm. And that is, like, mm-hmm. how she is for me. And I'm, like, having that in a relationship and having that in a partner who, totally. like, is also, like, blowing my back out. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's, like... As she should. As she should. And she's making biscuits. And she's making biscuits. And she's making biscuits. No, I'm saying, like, it's it's insane. But it's, like, yeah. even having everything and having an abundance of everything did not totally. stop the fact that, like, me at 12 is, you know what I mean? Right. Like, is embarrassed she's about, still there. like... Yeah, like, all of those versions yeah. of myself. I'm, like, I had to kind of, like... Right. Meet, address, and... Totally. Forgive and have grace yes. for. And all of those things, I had to do all of that work. Right. And, like, being able to do that within my partnership was, like, really beautiful because yes. it gave me... I mean, one, it was, like, that's I'm gonna marry this lady, obviously, because... Yeah, exactly. That's you know, a like, wife. That's a wife. That's a whole wife. That's a wife. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Well, and it's like, even though you were able to find that that safety in that arena, it was still that mm-hmm. feeling of lack that you had of not being able to ask for your needs was showing up in those other places, 100%. right? And so, like, you had to rectify that. And yeah. again, that's a gift and a curse, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, I... I know for me, like my desire to to produce art and to write and to share my stories is twofold. It's like I'm doing it for myself, 
I'm doing it for other people because I want to connect with them, mm -hmm. right? And at the same time, it's like it is coming from this sense of feeling not heard when I was younger, mm -hmm. right? It's like I know that ultimately having that moment where I realized that I asked for something to be taken care of within mm -hmm. me and I heard no or heard silence, right. that that sat with me and I just stopped eventually knowing how to ask right. and feeling safe enough to ask, even if safety showed up for me. Yeah. Right. And so like ultimately now in my adult life, within my career and in my interpersonal relationships, I'm learning how to let love come to my aid. Yeah. And that's really, really hard to do, but I feel like so hard. you are such a great example of this Thank you. in so many ways, like even, even down to the biscuits. So Timby, <laughs> Timby runs a business is the business femme behind Sundays only. <laughs> Um, the biscuit delivery service and Kane, her partner, makes makes the biscuits and mm -hmm. they are the best I've ever had. Oh my God, thank and you. That's, and the thing is, all of that love that y'all share is deeply embedded. That's <laughs> the, the main biscuits. ingredient. That's the main ingredient. <laughs> that's the main ingredient. <laughs> um, which does bring me to my final question. Yes. Actually, there's two questions. Uh -huh. One, what would you say if you were to list like five ingredients in a recipe for being a cycle breaker and being somebody who's choosing your own joy? Yeah. What would that be? What would those five ingredients be? I think. One is a community of people who fuck with you for real, who are going to mm -hmm. see you through the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. That's important because you yes. can't break cycles alone. Alone, It's just not possible. Mm -mm. It's not possible. Um, I would say, too, is like a lot of a lot of energy. You got to have energy for it because I think mm -hmm. it's easy to do what you know. It's easy to fall into patterns, both ones that you understand to be patterns and ones that you've yet to understand. Absolutely. To be because you thing. haven't had the awareness yet. Exactly. Like that, I would say self-awareness is important. You can't mm -hmm. say, oh, I'm a cycle breaker and you're not calling yourself to the table. Exactly. Like, but you, you can't call just, everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can't just be trying to hold everybody accountable when there's no accountability. You got to yes. be like, oh shit, let me pull myself in here. Let me call myself in yes. and be like, what the fuck is up, girl? You got to, we got to do this. Mm -hmm. Um. That's three things. Fourth ingredient, I think you got to like move with love. I always say everything mm. in love and out of love. And that has to be the motivation. Mm. Anything else is not breaking a cycle. Like I think people try to like manipulate themselves way, their way out of doing things out of love. They do. Yeah, you because know? that's the hardest part because it's vulnerability. Exactly. It's moving past your own shit. It's recognizing that everybody in your life is a mirror of you and also mm -hmm. a consequence of you and the exactly. relationship you have with them, right? Like sure. you're mad at your mom's, like your mom's is the best and worst part of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you that's, gotta... that is what it is. For sure. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, everything has to come from a place of love. That's so gorgeous. Love is like, I think one, I mean, that could have been the last ingredient, the biggest ingredient, but um, five, I feel like you gotta have a lot of perspective, mm. you know? And also not si situating yourself, not outside of it, but within it. Because when you see yourself it's as, like you said, as a mirror, I think when you see yourself as I'm so different, I'm so different, I'm so different, you know, you're like looking you've at lost oh, I'm, the connection. You've lost a connection and it also positions you to be lonely and yes. it positions you to be, you know, othered. Yeah, othered. And that's exact that's the exact opposite of what anybody wants. Everybody that's just exactly wants right. to be like closer. Totally. In. Totally. If you are not breaking cycles for the chance to love again in a mm -hmm. more full way, then you're not actually breaking a cycle. You're just reinflicting pain 100%. on yourself and other people in a with a different taste and a different flavor. Yeah. And now you use using words, big like, words exactly. to explain and why and you're doing and that now bullshit. Everybody's a gaslighter and narcissist. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a narcissist. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's a fucking narcissist. Here's how you identify narcissist behavior, bitch. The mirror. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, 
Go ahead and face that. Yeah, I'm go like, y'all out here that. cutting and blocking people off until totally. you, you buy, you're in a box. Exactly. 100%. And I think that pendulum swing is really natural, but you have yeah. to catch yourself in that. Yeah. My final question for you is yeah. what do you think your superpower is? And are you still in discovery of it? I think my superpower is my ability to synthesize the information mm. that and the way that I see the world and deliver it in a way that people helps them to see themselves. I would agree. I'm a beneficiary of that. <laughs> Thank you. I would agree. So I yeah, agree. I think once I got tired of just being a vessel. Yeah. And like a vessel yeah. and like feeling like me, like the outward parts of me were right. just like almost a facade, right? Like totally. the brain is the thing and then the body is just like the right. thing that houses the brain. Right. That's that enlightenment. Yeah, the brain in the vet. You know, yeah, like exactly. I'm, once I stopped doing that and I kind of got real to get like Jen was helpful for that. Yeah. Know, all like becoming you know, embodied. Yeah, becoming embodied. embodied. Yes. I recognized that that experience is a powerful one yes. and one that so many people are also trying to unwind. Yes. And being able to talk about that, being able to write about that at length, right. being able to not even hold myself accountable as well. Like, I feel like in yes. that essay, I did that. Like, I'm yes. like, and also talking about my community is being the sites of that. And really quick, one totally. of the things that I think was really interesting was how many women reached out to me to say like, oh, my group chats are talking about this or this is inspiring mm -hmm. conversation between us. Yes. And it's like, it didn't end up on the Tonight Show. Like, this woman talks about yes. this thing. It's like, it wasn't for everybody else. It was for us. It was for us. And I speak in shorthand to black women because I'm like, it yes. is for us to talk and about with one another. Right. We get it. Yes. I don't have to overexplain myself because we no. know exactly what the hell I'm talking That's about. That's exactly right. And in that way, like you, you are embodied and you're not a mouthpiece. You're the voice. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But that's what I'm trying to do, you know, like yes. so that we can talk to one another and be totally. honest about the ways in which totally. I've participated. Because if we're not honest about that, yes. it becomes a performance for other people. That's exactly You right. can't call me a victim because I know exactly what the hell I'm doing. That's right. That's so, right. Let's that leave that. <laughs> like, unreal. We're being and intentional. That's a mic drop if I've ever heard one <laughs> shit. <laughs> shit. Um, you're so amazing. Thank you so much for Thank coming. Thank you for around. having me. This yes, is great. Of course. I you're so you special. And we will. And we'll continue to. Yeah. Um, let people know where they can find you. Okay. Uh, I'm at Tembe on all platforms. Well, Instagram and Twitter. I don't know if there's totally. other platforms. And where, when and where can they find Homebodies? Yeah, Homebodies is out May 2nd. Anywhere you can buy books, except for Amazon. Don't do that. Don't tell Tea. me the problems I said that. But don't buy it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Bookshop. You know, your local indie. Like, there's a bunch of, I'm sure there's an yeah. indie wherever you Absolutely. are. So shop. Support your local bookstore. Absolutely. And if you want to see me, Bring you to your city. Period. That's it. Period. With love, y'all. We'll see you soon. This podcast and every episode is produced and edited by Joey Gabala, music by Sufi Hamilton, and of course, the voice of Kendra Austin. See you soon.